What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 220 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and their journey through it. As always, my name is Tim Birkbeck, and I'm your host and guide through said podcast. And we've reached a kind of another milestone number. I, I don't know why I always feel like multiples of five are like a big deal, but 220 is a pretty, pretty big number. Still going strong. We may not be as regular as previously but we're still here we're still going strong and yeah it's been a lovely lovely time doing this podcast for so many episodes and thank you for everyone that's joined us on this journey whether this is the first time you're listening or if you've been there since day one it is much much appreciated uh since we last spoke i say last spoke i'm the one doing all the speaking um been to several shows because that was one of the reasons I moved to Bristol, was being able to go to shows all the fucking time, and it's been bloody lovely. Uh, when I saw Nothing the other day, which was really cool, uh, saw Chalk Hands, saw my good friends in Katie, uh, when I saw Weekend Friends as well. So yeah, lots of lots of cool gigs happening, cool music happening as well. Uh, new Avero record out today as I'm recording this. Shout out to my friends from texas in overo uh new health record which dead flowers is chef's kiss yeah just lots of really good music at the moment like 2022 is giving us wonders um and speaking of new music my guest this week has a record coming out this friday um this week i am joined by vocalist of death metal band undeath uh alexander jones completely blanks they're not on on alexander's name just of what i was gonna say um but yeah their new record comes out this friday we recorded this a couple of weeks ago so uh it's obviously leading up to the record but we obviously talk about how alex got into music how uh he was kind of drawn to initially like the more punk and hardcore stuff before discovering the heavier side of of alternative music and leading him down the path to death metal uh how he's kind of always felt a bit more comfortable being being a vocalist uh and how with undeath they have never kind of really taken themselves too seriously and that has kind of won them fans what lost them fans but they just kind of do things the way they want and that's kind of how they've achieved the, the recognition they've got so far and yeah so so much more so please enjoy the chat i have with alexander and i'll see you on the other side Right, so joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of Death Metalers Undeath, uh, Alex Jones. Alex, thank you very much for taking some time and having a little chat with me. Um, how is everything in your world? Like, obviously, prepping for the new record that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Are you excited? Are you nervous? Like, what's the kind of emotions going through with you at the moment? I'm both of those things. I'm very excited. I'm very nervous. Um, yeah, it's just things have been hectic. You know, it, it's like, we're I think two weeks away from the album coming mm. out, something like that. So we're kind of past the point of like all the lead up singles being out. You know, people have kind of, I think by and large, made up their minds about whether or not they're going to check the full record out at this point. <laughs> yeah. So uh, at this point, really the last uh, hurdle was just to get the whole thing out there and for people to check it out for themselves. And, you know, we worked really hard on it. So I'm excited for people to, to finally hear the whole thing. Mm. And obviously we'll touch on like, the full record in, in general, 
lay down the line but just because you said like the kind of i guess the the pre-press run is kind of done in terms of like the singles and things like that but what's the general kind of like feedback that you've seen been like uh it's been good you know i i think it's been kind of like overwhelmingly positive and uh you know i uh i'm always just like nervous to put any new music out there in the world not because of uh how i perceive or how other people are going to perceive it but just because like you know once you release music that you've been working on for a while uh it kind of like it doesn't really belong to you anymore mm. and uh that aspect of it just kind of makes me nervous just like these things <laughs> yeah. th- these things that we've been toiling away at the in the practice space on for months and months and months and now they're just kind of they belong to to everybody so uh that aspect of it always kind of freaks me out a little bit but i mean i'm stoked i'm stoked for people to hear it it's yeah it's like it's interesting like because so many people like refer to that kind of like not that it's not a loss of ownership but it's almost like a kind of a letting go kind of yeah aspect so is that kind of how it feels yeah absolutely i mean i remember when we were writing rise from the grave like the song um i I just thought to myself like a billion times I, i just i couldn't wait for people to hear it and i was so excited about what people's reactions were going to be and then we actually released the song and people's reactions to it were pretty much like by and large identical to what I expected them to be. (laughs) So it was kind of like, uh, it was just fantasy and reality mixing at the same time. And I was like, well, I guess that's it. (laughs) Now now it's time to work on the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I said, like, I always like to kind of take my guests back to their kind of their roots and their origins, so to say. So what kind of like got you into like alternative music in the first place? Like what was your first exposure to it? Um, so both my parents are, are really into music. Like they're not, not exactly musicians themselves, but they're, they're definitely like hardcore music fans. So growing up in the house, uh, always music playing, you know, my dad was a big like record collector. So there was always just like, you know, vinyl on the turntable, stuff like that. Um, they both, both my parents kind of came up in the, in the sixties and seventies. That's like when they were consuming the most music, I want to say at least like the most new music. So you know, my mom has listened to some podcasts that I've done and she's gotten mad at me because I tend to class, <laughs> I tend to classify her, uh, like music listening palette as singer songwriter stuff like Elton John and, and things like that. Right. And, uh, okay. Which, you know, it, she does listen to that stuff, but she has informed me to also clarify that she listened to a lot more stuff than just singer songwriter 70s stuff. <laughs> so I'm going to do her that service now and say that my mom was also really into like Elvis Costello, B-52s, like uh, a lot of the, the classic like American proto-punk stuff, um, yeah. a lot of like the early British stuff and she was really into The Clash and stuff like that. Um, and my dad was the same way. My dad was into a lot of that stuff as well. But he also kind of had a lot of stranger music in the house. Like he was really into um, a lot of like the German Krautrock bands like Can mm. and Kraftwerk and stuff like that. Um, so I, I had this like exposure to more like left of center music for like from a pretty early age. So I think mm. that that kind of primed me to getting into like alternative music later on for sure. So the, I guess like how did you, that kind of journey then kind of like go from that to kind of finding like the more sort of alternative side of things? Like was it were you just like curious and sort of like digging? Did people put you on to bands? How did that kind of all come about? Yeah, I feel like it was a mixture of a bunch of different things. You know, I I think uh, like I I was already pretty ravenously ravenously consuming music by the time I was like 
10 or 11 years old and I was trying to find like stuff for myself that wasn't exactly just the music that my parents had been listening to for my whole childhood mm. and one of those if not like maybe the first band that I ever could kind of claim as as my thing was Green Day uh, right. I, I was like a Green Day obsessive I was a Green Day acolyte for for years and years like they were it's my favorite band thing you know on the planet I was I was yeah I was a true obsessive um and I, I remember like Dookie was my first Green Day album. I just fell in love with it immediately. I loved like just the how fast it was, how immediate it was, all the hooks. Like it was just perfect to me. It was perfect to my uh, 11 year old sensibilities. And mm. from then on, you know, it was just like trying to discover as many things that sound like Green Day as possible. So that kind of takes you down the, the rabbit hole of going into all like the Epitaph bands, going into all like the Fat Rack bands. Like I was really into the Offspring. I was really into Blink. Like uh and then you know i was trying to find bands that influenced green day and i was like well how did this band sound the way that they sounded and that's how i found out about operation ivy and uh that kind of took me into the whole like bay area punk scene and ska mm. and yeah from green day went to op ivy which you know made me it was kind of like my gateway band to getting into ska for a really long time mm. um and then ska, like, you know, you work even further back, you're listening to stuff like the specials and then like reggae, just like straight up reggae. So I was all over the place really early age. <laughs> and and uh, like, honestly, like metal didn't come into the picture for, for a while. You know, I was aware of a lot of the classic metal bands. Like I was aware of Iron Maiden. I was aware of Sabbath. I was aware of Judas Priest. But like it... it it's funny like thinking about it now considering how ridiculous a band like green day is but to me like <laughs> yeah. to me green day was like real like like these were just like guys from like a shitty neighborhood in in oakland or whatever who were making like punk music and iron maiden with songs about like swords and magic and dragons yeah, and stuff yeah. and i was like this is not for me um but yeah metal metal didn't come into my life for until early high school i want to say mm. And with that, it was like, by the time I got to high school, I was already really into hardcore. I was really into screamo. I was really into like more like underground stuff. And I had yeah. a buddy who was a couple of years older than me and he knew I was into music and he knew I was into like weirder music. And he burned me an Opeth CD. Nice. And he was like, hey, because I think we talked about Tool or something at one point. So I was like a big Tool fan as well. And he was like, hey, if you're into like this proggier stuff, you should check this Opeth band out. I was like, all right, word. And I remember I listened to Blackwater Park. And the first time I heard it, I was like, I hate this. Like, I hate these, <laughs> I hate these like screamed vocals. I hate just like how all, all over the place this is. I was like, my suspicions are confirmed. Metal, this metal sucks. Like, I don't like this. <laughs> and then, uh, but then just something about it just kept like drawing me back in. And I, I listened to that album like over and over. I used to listen to it like on my car ride to school. I would listen to it like walking home. Like uh, I, uh, it, I just, it, something about it just kept like just really uh, fascinated me, really kind of enraptured me. And uh, sure enough, like over the span of a couple of months, I just fell in love with it. And then uh, I just tried to listen to as much Opeth as I could. Like, I mean, Blackwater Park and Ghost Reveries were like my, my two favorite metal albums for a long time. Mm. And then, yeah, from there, it was like Between the Buried and Me was a huge band for me. Uh, like, it was right around the time that Colors came out. So, yeah, I was really into Colors. Um, and, yeah, those two bands really kind of served as, like, my my gateway to, to metal. Mm. 
And just to backtrack a little bit, because obviously you've said that you kind of obviously, like Green Day were kind of, I guess, the, the foundation and you've kind of built up from there. But you said like before you kind of got to metal, you were kind of into the more sort of like screamo, hardcore, like underground sort of side of things. Yeah. So I guess because like, even though Green Day, like obviously in the like Dookie era were kind of like a punk band, but they were still kind of like on that cusp of like punk and mainstream because like they had radio airplay and, and things like that. But obviously like, how did you kind of get from there to like the underground stuff and that more like punk and hardcore side of things? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, a lot of it had to do with the internet because when I was really like obsessively consuming as much music as I could, that this was kind of in the, the prime era of like file trading websites and like file yeah. sharing stuff like uh, blog spots and uh, like rapid share and stuff like that. So I would, you know, by the time I was getting familiarized with how that stuff worked, I, I knew what I liked. I knew I really liked Green Day. I really liked uh, like what you would consider pop punk. I really liked skate punk, stuff like that. Like mm. no, no effects, like basically everything that you would consider like an entry level punk band. Like I was, all in on <laughs> yeah and uh it, i mean it didn't take me long to realize like when i started going on the internet and stuff that you know there was just this whole world of punk and like punk adjacent stuff out there that i just wasn't familiar with and um you know that was like my first exposure to to something like black flag or, or minor threat was going on the internet just to try to find like other people that were into green day and the, yeah. the first thing that I'm greeted with is people being like, Green Day is for fucking posers. Like, you need to, <laughs> like, you need to listen to all the SST stuff. You need to listen to the Discord stuff. And I was like, oh, like, this is actually punk? Like, everything I've been listening to, like, is 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 wrong? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, like, a big pers perspective shift for me, I guess. Um, but, yeah, like, just going on the internet and, and reading and researching as much as I could about, uh you know like black flag and sst ian mckay and discord um which is all like the early punk labels and all the early hardcore like american hardcore stuff was was huge for me and through that was how i got into fugazi and mm. uh fugazi really like shaped my worldview in terms of how i viewed music and how i viewed like how you should be in a band and how you should release albums for a long time and honestly like to this day you know they the way that they operated as a band and the ethics and the values that they held were massively important to me. Mm. And, uh, you know, I discovered all that stuff and I discovered like hardcore and, you know, uh, Screamo, I mean, Screamo came a little bit later, but I discovered like what you would call like the foundational American hardcore stuff, probably like at my most impressionable. So yeah. those, the values and the way that those bands carried themselves really like imprinted on me. Mm. So, I feel like because I discovered all that stuff at such an impressionable age uh, and it, it sank so deep into like the core of my being so fast, it, there really wasn't any room for metal at that point. Yeah. Because it, it's kind of a, a big jump when you're going from a band like Fugazi, who their whole thing is like, you know, $5 VFW hall shows. Like uh, we do not sell merchandise. Like uh, the music is the, the focal point here. We're not going to yeah. waste your time with t-shirts. Uh, by the way, all of us are like militant vegans. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, like we tour 11 months out of the year playing to like literally anybody that'll see us. 
when you're listening to a band like that and you're 15, 16 years old and you're thinking, holy shit, this is the coolest thing anyone's ever done. If somebody tries to present you a Judas Priest and they're like, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, no, this is cool. This guy wears leather pants. You're like, <laughs> you're like I don't give a fuck. Like, who cares? Uh, so there's just it, those were like totally uh what's the word like dichotomous things in my mind like i just i couldn't i couldn't hold those two ideas simultaneously so metal metal had to wait a couple years yeah yeah and because like it sounds like you were kind of like very much like digging off, off your own back and things and obviously as you said when you kind of got to metal it wasn't it was because somebody else had kind of showed you opeth sort of thing so mm. not to say that you were being like ignorant to to other things but because obviously like i don't know was it a ca case that like you were so sort of like this is me researching things rather than like having people go yo check out this band uh, uh, was that kind of like how you were kind of were until like metal kind of came along or were people still doing that with like the punk and hardcore sort of side of things that's a great question you know i i think uh I think most of my musical taste throughout my life has kind of been cultivated by me just kind of doing my own research and finding mm. things on my own. I mean, I'm, I'm a very stubborn person in certain aspects right. of my life. Like, uh, it takes me a while to warm up to things. I, I just tend to be, that's just like an unfortunate truth about myself. I tend to be very, uh, very slow to like let things in. And, right. uh, with music, I mean, it's no exception. Like I, I discovered really early on what I liked. And then for many, many years after that, it was just like I knew my, what my wheelhouse was and the things that I consumed had to had to fit that mold. Mm. And when people presented me with things that were maybe like outside of my comfort zone or outside of uh, what I typically consumed music wise, I, I would like not even entertain it because yeah, I, at that point, I had already established like what my what my whole worldview was when it came to music. So uh, metal just did not fit in that spectrum at all. And it wasn't until I was a little bit older and I had people who were like older than me who I trusted sitting me down and saying like, no, listen, like this is actually good. Like you need to give this a chance for me to actually like sit still and listen. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the other thing that I always kind of find really interesting in, in somebody's like journey into music and exploring music is because you have obviously like the recorded side of things, but the other aspect of it is, is the live element. Mm. And because I know obviously you're in Rochester now, but have you always kind of been in the like New York area? Yeah. So I, in my really early childhood, I lived downstate, um, like closer to the city. I lived in a like Peekskill. I lived in uh, like Westchester County, like uh, basically like a 30, 35 minute drive from, from New York city. Um, mm. But then when uh, I was like 12 or 13, maybe a little bit older, we moved up here to Rochester and I've been here ever since. Mm. So were you, were you exposed to, cause obviously if you've got like parents that are very much into music as well, were you exposed to like the live element of, of it quite early on as well? Um, I saw my first couple of shows when we were still living downstate, but nothing really that was like that, uh, like impactful for me. Like, I, I think the, the earliest shows I went to were, like, very big. Like, I, I think the first show I ever went to in my life was uh, Blondie and The Cars. And I mean, that's a pretty good first show. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> looking at it now with my current perspective, I'm like, that's sick. Like, I would go see that now. But when, yeah, I was, yeah. 
when I was however old I was, like 10, maybe like 11, uh, I was like, this, this is so lame. Like, these people are so <laughs> old. Like, I hate this. Um, so I, I did not have the respect or appreciation that I should have had for that show. But yeah, I mean, it was like stuff like that. Um, and then like the first show I ever went to without parental supervision was my brother and I went to the city and we went to the Roseland Ballroom, which I don't think exists anymore. And we saw Real Big Fish. It was like this huge ska tour. And it was when I was like crazy into ska. So it was like everything to me to be there. It was like Real Big Fish, Three Light Manifesto, Less Than Jake. And I think Against All Authority opened. Um, and like I was super into Real Big Fish. I was super into Street Light Manifesto. I was like so-so about Less Than Jake. Yeah. Like I, I was like, I was really excited to be there. And that was that was cool because it was more of like a club show. It was, it was mm. you know, it was like, standing room only general seating like it wasn't uh it wasn't nearly as much of a like concert as the blondie yeah. show was so that was cool but it wasn't until we moved to rochester that i actually started like going to more underground stuff and stuff that actually kind of like made me want to play in bands myself mm. and because like obviously from a like an outsider perspective and as, as someone living in the uk as well like we always kind of see like there's obviously certain cities in, in the states that have like a reputation for like DIY music and things like that and obviously like New York City and New York State itself is one of those so I don't know did you know like from like quite an early stage again that like that you were lucky enough to have that kind of thing on your doorstep or did it take a little while for you to kind of figure out like oh okay I like this lane of music but I'm not sure where to find it live and maybe it kind of took a little longer to kind of find it that way. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I remember when we moved up here, when we moved to Rochester, it was like right when I was starting to get really interested in like going to shows. Mm. And uh, I hadn't when we were living downstate. I mean, the closest I had ever gotten to was that Real Big Fish show I mentioned. So I was like primed and ready to start like going to as many shows as possible. And then my parents let me know like, hey, by the way, we're moving uh, <laughs> yeah. six and a half hours upstate. Because, um, like, I don't know how familiar you are with New York State geography, but, like, it's a big state. Yeah. And yeah. New York City, like Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, like, takes up a very small part of the state. It's all the way down at the bottom. And then Rochester, if you're looking at a map of New York State, is pretty much as far northwest from there as you can go. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, like, literally an hour from the Canadian border. Uh, so like that was crushing for me because I was like I'm just getting started going to all these shows we live 30 minutes away from Manhattan like and now I'm just gonna lose all of that like I don't yeah. know what like I don't know what kind of scene Rochester is but I can't imagine it's as good as anything down here and little did I know at that time especially you know Rochester had a really thriving hardcore and, and metal and punk scene and when we moved here you know I made friends at, in high school pretty fast who took me to those shows who took me to local hardcore shows, local metal shows. And that was when I really like fell in love with the concept of, of playing in a band myself. Mm. And was there any of those kind of early shows that really stick out in the, in the memory at all? Yeah, definitely. So I, the first hardcore show I ever went to up here was at the Dublin underground, which was a terrible, terrible bar that <laughs> no longer exists. I think it got converted into like a high end restaurant and now that's closed too, but um it was that was where a lot of like diy hardcore shows happened and i had a, a buddy in high school who used to take me to shows there all the time um 
And the first show I ever went to was Death Before Dishonor, who are a great like Boston hardcore man. Yeah. Um, it was them. Who else played? I think Soul Control played. No, Soul Control didn't play that show, but Four Tongues played. They were like a a local kind of like integrity style hardcore band. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like Death Before Dishonor and and Four Tongues and a couple other bands, and it made a huge impression on me because I was the the first hardcore show I ever went to. Period. So I that was like the first time I ever saw hardcore dancing it was the first time i ever saw like kids stage diving uh and i was like holy shit like you can do this at a show and like not get arrested like like, it's crazy like they're on the stage with the band like that's ridiculous um and then that show was particularly eventful because it ended in a massive fight and uh like all these kids got like the cops got called and all these kids got dragged outside and maced like it was oh shit it was brutal it it was a really fucking intense show but being 16 15 however old i was i was like i want to go to as many of these as possible now (laughs) (laughs) this is amazing uh so yeah like basically that show kind of like set my course for the next 10 years of my life pretty much yeah yeah no that's cool so then as you said like being in that kind of environment like it kind of made you want to sort of like do bands and things and obviously we know you as the vocalist of Undeath now but did you kind of like start like dabbling with like instruments or stuff or was kind of vocals always the thing that you wanted to focus on um I've been dabbling with guitar for a while at that point but not not that seriously you know I, I wasn't like a disciplined disciplined player or anything like that mm. I just uh I when I was younger like I thought that like uh all the guitarists and punk bands that I was listening to were so cool. And I just wanted to replicate that. So uh, I think like for my birthday or for Christmas one year, my parents got me this like really cheap ion starter guitar and like a little battery powered uh, practice amp. And uh, I just was like slamming power chords on it, but that was like the only thing I could do pretty much until, (laughs) until like last year, that was like, (laughs) that was all I could play in guitar. was just like the most rudimentary power chords, but, um so i like dabbled in that and like i knew i wanted to play in bands and i I was aware that like in in order to make that happen for yourself you kind of need to make yourself appear useful so Mm. i would tell people like yeah you know i I play guitar like i'm trying to start a band and then i would show up to practices and i would bring my little like battery powered amp and they would kind of immediately know like okay this kid doesn't actually play guitar (laughs) also he's like 15 what are we doing (laughs) um but uh, yeah, I was trying to play guitar for a minute, and in, in my first band ever, uh, I did play guitar in it. I mean, play guitar is is a generous way to describe it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I held the guitar and had made some noises, but uh, I wasn't really doing anything that intentional. Um, it was a, a straight edge band called X Virgins X. Um, oh no, no! <laughs> it's terrible. It was absolutely terrible, uh, and it was me. And just a couple of kids that, like, used to go to shows in Rochester all the time. And we were just, dude, I mean, that, like, when I look back on it, the trajectory of that band is so fucking bizarre to me. Because we started with aspirations of just being, like, a very straightforward, straight-edge hardcore band. And then, like, I couldn't play my instrument. It, It was, and it's just, like, everything devolved so fast to the point where our first show I mean, we booked a show before we even had songs written and then oh, God. we like got up on stage on stage quote unquote it was a it was at like a community space so we're like playing in front of all these people and our only 
thing that we had prepared was this like 15 20 minute long composition that was basically just like six riffs that we just all smashed together and then just went from like one riff to the second riff to the third riff and then we just like feedbacked out and then it was over <laughs> and uh i remember like after that set this dude came up to me and he was like you guys were crazy man like that was awesome like i love how uh you and your bass player are like you guys play in different tunings i was like oh that, <laughs> that wasn't intentional <laughs> uh so that i mean that band kind of like played out pretty fast and we, i think we only played like five or six shows but um the, after that i realized like okay like maybe i should not play guitar in a band for a while maybe i should try to do vocals instead but that, that's like was it a thing that you wanted to kind of give it a go or was it kind of i don't know when you kind of got into the next band that it was circumstantial and and you thought fuck it why not or did you kind of was there always that kind of idea in your head of like, yeah, I kind of want to give this a go sort of thing. Yeah, it was definitely intentional. Um, you know, when we were playing in, in X Virgins X, like I would, I would be on stage and I would be looking out at Chris, who was our singer. And I'll be thinking to myself, like, I want to be doing that. I want to be doing what he's right, doing. Okay. Like, and so I, I knew from pretty early on that being like out of front, being the front man was like the thing that I wanted to do. Um, but I just didn't know how to make it happen because everybody that, I knew uh, who theoretically might want to like start a new band with me was already in bands. Uh, mm. So I just didn't really have any opportunities for a while. Um, and then when Virgins broke up, uh, which didn't take long, um, <laughs> I was really into, I was like getting really, really into underground metal at that point. So, and like grindcore specifically, like I was really into Napalm Death. I was really into all like the early British stuff, like uh, Discharge and Heresy and bands like that. Um, but, and I wanted to do a band like that. And I knew this kid, Tyler, who played guitar and Virgins had played a couple of shows with his old bands. And I think his band was kind of like on the outs or something like that. Or he like had some space in his availability where he was trying to start a new band. And I think we were yeah. listening to a lot of the same stuff. And he was like, he let me know really early on, like, well, I'm playing guitar. And I was like, that's fine. Like, I don't want to play guitar. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we, we got a band together. It was like basically just me and uh, and Tyler and like a couple kids from the suburbs. And we just uh, started this grindcore band called Controlled by Fear. Um, and it was, you know, we, we covered excruciating terror. Like, it was fun. It was like a really good time. And that was kind of the first like real band or like real mm. feeling band that I was ever in. Yeah. So then in terms of like, I guess... As you say, you kind of like had seen your old vocalist and thought, oh, yeah, I want to do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But then, like, obviously, the process of kind of like becoming a vocalist and sort of like the idea of like finding your voice, finding a style of like how to write and things like that. Did that come kind of like naturally for you? Or did you kind of like those, I guess, those first kind of like early, early shows? Was it quite like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing? I'm just going to like wing it and see what happens kind of thing. It was definitely the latter a hundred percent. I mean, it was, it was brutal for a while. I like, I knew who I admired. It, it, like I knew who the vocalists were that I wanted to emulate. Like um, mm. at that point when I was like 15, 16 years old and I'm starting my first bands uh, at the drive-in was like my favorite band and Cedric from at the drive-in and you know, he was also in the Mars Volta obviously. 
yeah. I just loved his style, the way that he moved on stage. I loved his voice. Like I just wanted to be him. And also, like it sounds so shallow because it is, but uh, he also like I had a big curly head of hair at that point. Right. Okay. And he, he also had like a giant uh, like yeah, you know, yeah. curly head of hair. So I just I was like, you know, I felt seen <laughs> in a way. <laughs> so I just wanted to, I wanted to be like him and. Uh, you know, he was a guy that I, I really tried to emulate. Mark Paffy from the band uh, Bear vs. Shark was a band that I really tried to emulate. Um, so, like, I knew who I wanted to be. I just didn't really have, like, the the skill set and the confidence to, to do it myself. And, uh, you know, I remember, like, the first couple shows we played with uh, Controlled by Fear, I would just stare at the floor the entire time. because, mm. or, or just, like, you know, it took me, like, three shows to unfasten the mic from the mic stand because I still like needed something to hide behind. Like, yeah, I was, yeah. I was so fucking nervous. Um, and I remember like this girl I was dating at the time, uh, after like the third or fourth control by fear show, she was just like, you got to stop staring at the floor. Like you got to yeah. like look at people if you're the front man. And I was like, all right, like we're, I'll try. And, uh, it, it took a while. It definitely took a while to like get that confidence. But, uh, I think that band and, and the band I was in after were where I really kind of like learned or really like discovered my own voice and like my own mannerisms on stage. Yeah. And I think like, I completely relate to that sort of like that fear thing. So like, I used to be in like a kind of math core, grind core band for, for a little while. And the very first, like they were kind of like, an, like within where I'm from, they were already like an established band. So I kind of joined like latterly. So the first show I played with them, obviously they've already kind of got like, but not like fans but like people that kind of like will come and watch them and things like that right so the, like the whole time one one i was really like conscious of like keeping in time and yeah. two i was just so nervous so i was just like staring at the drummer the whole time with my back to the audience and like our drummer was just, at one point just sort of looked at me he was like dude you're staring at me and i'm like i'm sorry <laughs> But yeah, I was just, yeah, I couldn't like not look, I, I didn't want to look, because I thought as soon as I look at the crowd, I'm just going to shit myself. So It's hard. It, it's, <laughs> you know, like the best front men like make it look so easy, but it, yeah. it's, it, it takes so much practice and so much like time, just at least for me, like just getting, getting my confidence up to the point where I could like move freely on stage. Like mm. it, it, it took a while for sure. Yeah. So you said like Control by Fear was kind of like your first like proper band, I guess. So so did that was that a band that you kind of like went out of town with and, and, and toured a little bit or or was it more just kind of more local stuff? Um, we didn't really tour. I mean, I, I was still I was like a senior in high school when that band started. Um, so or maybe I was like a junior. I think I was like 16, 17, something like that. So we didn't really have the opportunity to just tour. Um, and the other guys were a little bit older. I think they were all like 18, 19, something like that. Um, but we did play. I mean, we played a ton of shows like around Rochester and like the Rochester area. Um, that band, I mean, we got out of town as far as like Buffalo, which is right, yeah, yeah, an hour away from us. So it wasn't really that far, but um, it was definitely like the most shows I had played at that point were with that band. I mean, granted, that band only played like 15 20 shows something like that right, so it, was, okay. it wasn't that much in the grand scheme of things but it was really the first experience i got like being in a band that had like a routine and had like stuff coming up that we had to practice for um it was the first band that actually like released anything 
because mm. we we put out like a demo and we put out like a split uh so we had like material you know we had like stuff for sale and that was a uh, that was brand new to me like i'd never been in a band that had actual songs before so yeah that was, yeah that was cool um but yeah that was like the first experience i really had personally of being in a band that like at least resembled a real band <laughs> yeah and you say that obviously it was the first band that kind of had like material and stuff that people could buy and obviously it also being your first experience as, as being a vocalist so i guess in terms like you because you said it was kind of like grindcore style right mm. so in terms of like you actually like writing lyrics and things like that because we'll kind of get on to the style that you're doing now but like in terms of like yeah that idea of like actually like putting pen to paper and like writing words to go along with the song did you kind of like find that difficult at first or did you quite enjoy the challenge of it um it, it was kind of like a mix you know because i i'd never written ly- lyrics for a band before you know obviously i didn't sing in virgin so it wasn't up to me um and with controlled by fear like uh I think I was just really trying to uh, write what I thought were like good grindcore lyrics, you know? So I think I was kind of like limiting myself from the jump in a way, which looking back on, like, I wish I had done, but you know, when we started that band, I was like, okay, like we're a grindcore band. Like what are, what are grindcore subject matters? Like I'm going to, I'm going to write songs about how war is bad. I'm going to write songs about like uh, bombs and I'm going to write songs about like battlefields. I'm going to write. And then here's like, you know, the random, like, fuck you, I'm going to kill you song. Um, yeah. yeah. So like I, I was kind of placing myself in a box lyrically from, from the very beginning. And sometimes it was fun. Like sometimes I had a really good time just like working on those lyrics and singing them live. But most of the time I feel like it was just kind of, it felt like a chore almost. I felt like I was just, <laughs> I was doing this like, very self-defeating thing and i wasn't really creating anything that i was that proud of lyrically yeah yeah that's fair so then you you said with control by fear like there was the first band that you kind of felt you were kind of doing things with but what was kind of like the first band that you were like i guess no i don't want to say proper band but like the one that you were kind of like going out and doing tours and doing a bit more substantial, I guess, is a better, better term. So what was that band? That band was a band called Druse, um, D-R-U-S-E. That was like my first real, real band that actually like toured and, and had like a little bit of a following and stuff like that. That was like, that was the big one for me for, for a while because I did Control by Fear, kind of fizzled out. And then I went to college for downstate. I moved downstate for college for like a semester and a half. Um, and then I just wasn't feeling it. I didn't really like the school that I was going to. I didn't really like the program I was in. And uh, I had this opportunity to transfer back upstate to a, a school here in Rochester. And uh, like, I knew a lot of people who were going to that school. Like I knew it was honestly like objectively a better school. Um, and I was just like all over that opportunity. So I transferred, moved back home. And then basically as soon as I got back, uh, I was like, oh, I don't have a band anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, cause I basically like left controlled by fear. I mean, it was already kind of on the way out, but I left that band to go to college. And then I moved back and I was like, shit, like, I don't have anything. Like I need something to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just started putting feelers out there and I was asking people like, you know, if anybody was interested in doing a band. And at that point, you know, I'm like 18, 19 years old. Uh, 
I was really into Screamo. I was really into okay. I was really into Orchid. I was really into uh, like Funeral Diner. Um, you know, just like all of the classic Screamo bands. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was my world. I, I wanted to do a band like that. I was kind of like pivoting away from metal a little bit. I wanted to go back to kind of the shit that that I that I grew up on, but but with more of an influence of the stuff that I was into now. Um, and I asked around and eventually I got talking to Joel, who is still a very good friend of mine. And he played drums in X Virgins X with me. And he was like, yeah, you know, he's like, I'm into all that stuff too. He's like, I'm actually going to jam with a couple of people tomorrow. Um, I don't think it's going to be anything like Screamo type stuff, but if you want to come through, like you're welcome to come through. And I was like, all right, word. So I went and practiced with them and it was me, Joel, uh, this kid, Joe on guitar. I mean, all these people are still very close friends of mine. Mm. Um, and uh, we didn't have a bass player for a while, but it was just the three of us really. Um, I think also my friend Jared might've been trying out for bass at that point, but I, I don't think it worked out for one reason or another, but they kind of wanted to do something more like, like do you remember that band Coliseum? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were trying to go for like that kind of sound, like more rock and rolly, like hardcore a little bit. And, oh, okay. But I could tell, like, I don't know, maybe I'm just misremembering things here, but I sort of like remember going to that first practice and they were trying to jam on these very like riffy rocking things. And I kind of brought up the idea. I was like, we should jam on some stuff that's like, like screamo. And I could kind of like, I could see their eyes light up a little bit. Like they weren't really fully convinced of what they were playing. And they were like, yeah, let's do yeah, that yeah. instead. <laughs> so, so it kind of worked out really well. And then um, Joe who is an awesome guitar player. He just had all these riffs and he just kept bringing them to practice. And in a, in a very short period of time, we had a demo. Uh, and yeah, I mean, things just, just really moved fast for that band for a while. And uh you know, we put up that first demo, we put out a demo called Target Weight, and like, this was probably 2014. Mm. Um, and it, it, it didn't like take off, but it got us like a little bit of a reputation in Rochester, like pretty fast. Like we, we were playing a lot of shows back then, we were playing Rochester probably like once a week at least. And like, I, all these kids are coming out of the woodwork and coming to see us. And I feel like we, we built up like, a pretty substantial following here in rochester like it, it was very cool for a while mm. so they, you said that that was kind of the first band that you were out sort of like touring with and things like that so mm. what, did you say there was like 2014 time right yeah i think yeah i think Druce lasted from like 2013 to like 2018 i want to say okay so i'm trying i'm trying to think like screamo like what kind of era that is so I'm we're kind of it's... we're kind of coming off of like the touche amore pianist becoming yeah that's what craze. i was gonna say yeah so it's that kind of yeah so i guess like in terms of like you guys touring and stuff then was there quite like a good reception for for you guys because obviously yeah it was kind of at that peak of like that wave of of those kind of screamo bands uh no <laughs> no definitely not it, it was it was a i loved being in that band and it was it was fucking awesome we had some great times but like man on the road it was so frustrating because we were weird we were a weird band we like when people described us as screamo right 
people kind of went into it expecting one of two things. They were expecting either like just the straight up emo violent shit like Orchid or yeah. they were expecting like Touche Amore, Piano Squid the Teeth, like more post-hardcore type stuff. Um, and we kind of were neither of those things. You know, we had, right, okay. we had elements of both those things, but like there was a lot of melody in the songs. Like the, the songs were much more uh, like arrhythmic in a lot of ways. Like we were just doing some very strange stuff with that band. And in Rochester, which has always kind of had a reputation for being a city that cultivates weird bands, like we were very graciously accepted. Like we played the best shows of our, our career, so to speak, in Rochester by far. Um, and it was, it was heartbreaking because, you know, I remember we put out our second demo and I mean, we called it an EP, but it was really a demo and we released that. We had this like amazing release show in Rochester where we played the bug jar, which is like a 200 capacity bar. I think we were like three people away from selling it out. Um, like people were just like going nuts. Like it was like the best that I had ever played in my life up until that point. And then that was like the kickoff show for like a week long tour that we were doing. Yeah. And the, the next show was in Philly and or it was in Philly. Or it was like somewhere in Pennsylvania and we rolled up and we played to like four people. Oh, uh, nice. And like, that's when it kind of clicked for me where I was like, Oh, this like maybe the only people that like this band are in Rochester. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not to say that we didn't find like like-minded people elsewhere. Like uh, there's this band from South Carolina that we did a lot of touring with called uh in route who were great and they definitely like were the band in our spectrum of like friends and bands that we played with that sounded the most like us and kind yeah. of like got what we were doing i think the most and they're like awesome kids and we loved hanging out with them but yeah i mean like there were people in philly that we got along with like uh ruben who uh played in the soul globe for a long time um like ruben was always a really big uh uh, champion of our band for a while but uh yeah for the most part it was it was pretty bleak like we would <laughs> we would play you know show like strings of shows like show after show after show just like five people three people one, oh, one person <laughs> like you know it, it's so funny like when you when you go back and you look at a you watch like american hardcore or uh any of the uh, like old documentaries about like the burgeoning hardcore scenes, and they're like, "Oh yeah, man, it was brutal. We were traveling around in the van playing a fifty kids a night, and I'm like, fifty kids? Like, are you guys fucking <laughs> rock stars? Like, that's amazing. Like, my band just played Baltimore to two people. <laughs> yeah. So it it was it was pretty desperate for a long time. That's right. But like in terms of your kind of like maybe not necessarily the show's aspect of it, but your kind of touring experience, like, as you say, like watching these documentaries and things and you see like all these like sort of quote unquote hardcore idols and stuff. And you think, Oh, that that's the life and all this. But then like when you kind of do it, it's, a, it's a very different reality. But so I don't know, like, did you kind of like your first experience on the road as you say, like there were some some rough shows, but did that kind of give you the bug straight away, or did it kind of take you a couple of times going out and being like, okay, yeah, like I actually enjoy being out on the road? Oh, I mean, I've been wanting to tour in a band since I was like thirteen. You know, like that oh, okay. was that was the my life's goal for since I was a kid was to do anything like that. You know, I had seen um, what was it? It was a documentary that. Uh, 
it wasn't about Blink-182, but it was about this band that toured with Blink-182. It was called uh, Riding in Vans with Boys. Um, okay. And it was just, it's actually a very interesting movie. It's I, I hate myself for not being able to name the band right now, but it was the big tour that Blink-182 did where they co-headlined with Green Day. And it was mm. like, the story behind that tour was so interesting because it was like Blink was on the way up. They were like the, yeah. the new face of pop punk. And Green Day, I think, had just put out Warning. So they were like yeah. kind of on the skids a little bit. Um, and it wasn't really sure like where they were going to go. So it was these co- two like opposing forces in a way that were like joining up to create this really exciting tour. And then opening was Jimmy Eat World, I think. And then there was a band before that. And they were like the openers openers. They were like the bands that played while like people found their seats in these like fucking football stadiums. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and the documentary just follows them. And it's like them traveling around the country in this van, like just going on tour with Blink-182. And I saw that when I was like 10. And pretty much from then on, I was like, I want to be in a fucking band. I want to tour. Like, I want to do that. Uh, so even when the shows sucked with Drew, it's like even when we went out for a week, two weeks on end and, you know, it's diminishing returns the entire way through. Like we're coming home losing hundreds of dollars. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I loved it. I, I could not wait to get out and do the next one. It, it really is like, it's a sickness of the mind. <laughs> like, <I> just, <laughs> yeah. And and people who have, who have toured forever. I mean, I don't know if you've experienced this yourself personally, but like, they'll tell you, it's like, y- even when it sucks, it's just like, you have this everlasting impulse just to, keep doing it like no matter what like once it kind of yeah. gets in your system it, it never leaves yeah 100 like i so i've told this story numerous times but i um i'd kind of done like tour so like i do a bit of like tour driving and, and like tming and stuff mm. um and i kind of kind of been done it, doing it like here and there for a few years for like a handful of bands um, and it got to like 2019, I was in a shitty job. I was like, fuck it, I'm going to go all in. So I was like, right, I'm going to do touring full time. Had myself like loads of stuff booked and blah, blah, blah. Got to March 2022 and then boom, oh, pandemic. <laughs> yeah, I was like, brilliant, fucking amazing. Yeah. Um, but like now, like I've kind of like got an, a new job. I've moved cities. But I st- like, yeah, I'm exactly the same. Like, Give me a van any day and I will fucking go because yeah. there's just nothing else like it. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, I remember like when Drews was kind of dying down and when things were kind of like uh, kind of phasing out for that band, but like I was still just beating my fucking head against the wall trying to get us like four shows in a row. And like, yeah, I, yeah. And it was all, it was like as DIY, it was as DIY as it gets. Like I was trying to get us shows in like, you know, I was trying to do a run that's like Albany, Pittsburgh, Philly, New York City or some shit like that. Like, and nobody would book us because like we just didn't have a following anywhere. Yeah. Like nobody knew who we were. And I knew that like even if the shows got booked, we were going to be playing like garages and basements to six people maybe. But I just wanted to do it so bad. I just yeah, wanted to get out yeah. there. You know, it's it's I was insatiable. <laughs> so then if we kind of go from from Drews, give us like a, a whistle stop tour to how we get from Drews to Undeath. Sure. So with Drews, um, toward the end of that band, probably like in our last year, I want to say maybe like last two years, me and Joel, our drummer, started a side band called Bone Mask, and that was 
a pretty short-lived band that was um trying to really be like neurosis um like almond raw like we were really going for a, a much doomier sludgier thing and yeah. uh that kind of got the bug back at me where i was like oh shit like i forgot like i love metal like i want to do <laughs> yeah i was like i want to do a metal band now like like drews has been so grueling and so serious for so long i just want to like have fun and do a metal band again um and i thought bowmass was going to be that band but we you know the, the other guys in the band i mean they're they're great dudes but like they were a little bit older at that point i mean i'm i'm in my early 20s at this point so i'm mm. I'm like really trying to like just go 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 all the time and these dudes were like 31 32 yeah. so they're they're kind of done they're like we'll do this metal band we'll play some shows here and there but like you know they've all got full-time jobs they're not trying to like yeah quit their jobs and go on tour so I kind of had like unrealistic expectations going into it um and then the band fizzled out for like a bunch of really stupid reasons honestly but uh it, it was fun while it lasted like we did a demo uh, we played a handful of shows and it was cool. And that really kind of got me excited about the prospect of being in a metal band again. Um, so then when that band stopped, I kind of need, I had this void I needed to fill that I didn't really realize was there. I was like, I, I got to be in a metal band again, like fast, uh, but I didn't know how to do it. And it was putting out all these feelers in Rochester. I was asking all like the usual suspects, you know, Hey, like, do you want to do a band? Blah, blah, blah. And uh, you know, everybody was busy. And a lot of the people that I had known who were bands in Rochester had moved. So I was kind of like, losing hope i guess that that it was mm. gonna happen and then and also like Drews was kind of on the way out you know like uh everybody was kind of getting interested in doing their own things uh like joe our guitar player was like really focused on like this solo ambient stuff that he was doing which is very cool but he was kind of like losing interest in in playing guitar in, in a band in a very traditional yeah. sense uh so things were kind of phasing out like left and right i didn't really know like where i was gonna go musically and then one day uh, I remember it was probably late 2018. Uh, I was doing my laundry and uh, this kid, Kyle, who plays in Undead, he plays guitar, uh, who I, I vaguely knew him because Drews, I think, had played with like his old band before in Syracuse. Right. He, uh, and I had posted like an ISIS video on, uh, on my Facebook page. And I was like, I fucking love ISIS. Like, does anybody want to do a band that sounds like ISIS? And uh, Kyle commented on it and he was like, lol like fucking ipa metal i was like <laughs> i was like who the fuck is this kid like who's this dickhead um and i was like ignoring him but then he like dm'd me and he was like hey like in all seriousness though like do you want to start a band i was like what <laughs> like, I was like, who are you but i was like humoring him and i was like well like i do kind of want to start a metal band so i guess we'll just see where this goes and i texted him back and i was like yeah man like what are you like what are you trying to do and he was like, oh, well, like me and this kid, Matt, have already been jamming. Uh, we're trying to do like a really kind of traditional death metal band. Like, here's our songs. And he just sent me like four, you know, instrumental tracks they had re like recorded in their practice space. And I was listening to them and I was like, holy shit, these are awesome. Like, yeah. these are so good. And it was like exactly the kind of death metal that I was really into. Like, it reminded me of uh, like Cryptopsy and like Campbell Corpse and stuff like that. So I was like, fuck yeah, bro. And like, mm -hmm. like when can we practice? So I went over to their space and, you know, we, I tried out more or less. I just like kind of winged it over the, uh, the tracks that they had written. And from then on, I mean, that was, that was on death. That was, that was the genesis of on death. Mm. And so like, as you say, it kind of had that sound that you were like drawn to and I'll, I'll get on to kind of like the, 
the sort of like new wave of like death metal bands in a moment. But like in terms of like what you guys kind of like wanted Undeath to be like in that early embryonic stage, like was there kind of like hints of what we hear now or has the sound kind of like, I guess within death metal there are sort of parameters, but like is has the kind of like, yeah, has the sound kind of, drastically changed or were you kind of like there and thereabouts at the beginning and now it's just kind of been tweaked throughout i, I don't think that sound really started to like crystallize until we did the full length until we did uh mm. lesions because in the very beginning like uh i don't want to say it was riff salad but it, it was like <laughs> right. we, we, were, we were definitely just kind of like throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what stuck you know like we were yeah. uh, like kyle was just cranking out all these riffs like left and right and uh you know, we just, nobody was, was doing any kind of real, uh, like, uh, I don't know, like thinking or, um, uh, we weren't really like diving that deeply into what we wanted the band to sound like, because we were just like stoked about what the band was, you know, we were Mm. just like excited to be doing the band. Um, so it's funny, like when you listen to demo 19, our first demo, and then 17 autolysis, our second demo, which were written, like, written and recorded pretty much back to back like you kind of see the evolution like beginning to take shape like i think the songs on demo 19 are, are like very spastic and in, in in a lot of key ways like they're yeah there isn't a lot of like repetition in them i mean there is but not that seriously and then on 17 autolysis like, you get that a little bit more but it wasn't until lesions because i remember we had the song Legions of a Different Kind, and that was like the first song that Kyle wrote and like showed to the band that had that like very traditional like verse chorus verse structure to it. Yeah. And I think we just loved playing it so much that we just wanted to move in that direction more. And mm. I, I think we've kind of been like following that, following that North Star ever since. We've been trying to just kind of like really hone in on that sound and, and make it our own. Mm. And because that's the thing, like obviously, if like you weren't to sort of like dig into like the subject matters of what you're kind of like doing with Undeath and kind of like the the sort of more tongue in cheek side of things, like on the on the surface, if you listen to it, it is like meat and potatoes, death metal to to an extent. Mm-hmm. But obviously, like I think, especially as you say with Lesions and like with the with the new record like coming out there is that kind of more like poking fun and like not taking yourselves too seriously kind of elements to it mm. so was that there from day one as well or again is that kind of like something that's kind of come along with time i think that was definitely there since day one for sure because you know we were never really trying to start a death metal band that was going to be like shrouded in mystery or anything like that mm. you know we didn't have a lot of grant or any grand intentions from the start about like what undeath was going to be from a like philosophical standpoint you know we yeah. we just we wanted to start a death metal band and we wanted the focus of the band to be good death metal songs and like to us a great death metal song it has all those elements like it has good craftsmanship and good songwriting and good riffs and a good hook but it also you know, not all the time, but when it works, it has an element of humor. It has an element of kind of like uh, self-deprecation to it a little bit. 
Mm. Um, but it, it's got to be like a delicate process because when you lean too far into like the funny aspect of things, then you kind of become like a joke band. And yeah, uh, and like we're not like we're we're goofy guys, but we're not trying to make like goofy music. We're just trying to make music that doesn't take itself that seriously. Um, and I think mm. with every release, we've kind of been like trying to get a little bit closer to that and kind of create that that undeath sound, so to speak, I guess, which is uh in my perspective, kind of like sits right on the the tipping point between uh just like irreverent fun and also like very serious technical music and i think like that that negative yeah. space is kind of like where undeath lives <laughs> yeah and just to like kind of bring it back to like you specifically and, and you were saying obviously earlier with the kind of the grindcore band you kind of lyrically put yourself in a in a bit of a box and obviously now with undeath as you say like there's that kind of like element of of not taking yourself too seriously, having a bit of fun, a bit of self-deprecation mm. to it. But like, obviously, like li- to to listen to your voice, it co- still comes across as like brooding and evil, whatever adjective right. you want to use. So I don't know. Have you found that aspect of it like fun to kind of like? have the technicality again you say like the technicality of the musicianship of your voice be this like gruff thing but you're singing about zombies and fucking yeah, computer um, games yeah you know, it, like it's a relief to me honestly because i i hardly write any of the lyrics in the band uh kyle writes okay. the vast majority of the lyrics so like you know coming off of druce which was a very very fucking serious band like especially lyrically like you know, if you go back and listen to those songs, like I'm, I'm kind of like working through some very tough metaphysical shit with that band. And I think mm. coming off of that, I was like really burnt out and just really like emotionally cashed out. And I just didn't really have any interest in like writing lyrics like anymore. I was just like, I got to take a break from this. And if I do go back to it, like it's got to be less tolling for me emotionally because I just like can't mm. do this. It's not sustainable. Um, and so with Undeath, you know, at the very first practice, Kyle was like showing me lyrics that he had in mind for uh, for the songs that they had written. And I was like, it just felt like this weight was lifted off my shoulders. Like, I know it's a cliche, but I was like, just so fucking relieved that I didn't have to write lyrics for a band. Like, I just didn't have that pressure. And yeah, it, like, yeah. you know, I, I just feel like in my position, I'm kind of just like one of a long line of people that are kind of carrying on this tradition of like, uh the the guitarists and death metal bands or at least like the ones to me that are like the best are the ones that write the lyrics because they're the ones yeah, that are yeah. like creating the arrangements they're the ones that like know which vocal patterns are gonna like click the best on top of the rest of the writing um like cannibal corpse is a perfect example like alex webster writes i think the vast majority of the lyrics in that band and then course Rinder just mm. comes in and he's like the mc and he just tries to like execute yeah. this vision as best as he can and that's that's how i view myself i view myself as just like the guy that comes in the end and just tries to like bring everything together and like make sure that everybody is satisfied with what they've created um and it's cool it's like mm. it's a very fun and and exciting position to be in because uh it's just like it, it's a lot less stress than i've really ever been in in a <laughs> yeah. band 
Yeah. And just to kind of like really bring this like full circle in some aspects, like because obviously like, your fan base will be people that are like predominantly. I'm I'm talking quite broadly here, but I'm guessing the vast majority will be death metal fans. With obviously the odd kind of person like myself who likes a bit of everything and just likes music, like heavy alternative sure. music in general. But obviously going back to your kind of like origin story, you said like Fugazi were a band that very much kind of like embedded a certain like ethos in how to approach music. And I definitely, like now you've said that, it definitely like makes sense for me anyway of like how mm. Undeath is presented. So like, I don't know, is that something that you feel has, it has been like a full circle moment for you that like you've been in, in bands that have maybe not necessarily like, hit the I'm not saying that undeath has hit the dizzying heights but like you've got a bit more of notoriety now that you've been able to have that like bedding ground of like what bands like fugazi did and you can transfer that and i guess like be a bit more humble with what you're doing with undeath but still have fun absolutely. with it at the same time yeah absolutely i mean with with everything that we do as a band and and you know more granularly than that like everything that i do just as a as a musician and as a person in undeath like I just tried to carry myself with, with as much like self-respect and, and dignity as possible. And that's, that's something that I learned from listening to bands like Fugazi and, and coming up listening to like all the discord record stuff. Um, and that also goes with just like treating people with the respect and the integrity that they deserve. And I think like with mm. metal specifically, you know, I'm not afraid to say that like, there's just so much rock star bullshit that goes into it like there's so many yeah. fucking metal bands that they kind of like catch a wave or they get like a little bit of a little bit of buzz and all of a sudden they're like going into the venues like where the fuck is my deli tray like uh <laughs> like we were guaranteed <laughs> five grand for the show like where the fuck's my money let's, let's walk to the atm bro like i'm i'm just not interested in that like obviously i want yeah, yeah. undeath to be a viable band i want us to like you know come home with enough money to that we can all be comfortable but like it's never been about that. It's it's always just about like going out and having fun and playing shows and bringing people in and just having a good time. And uh, those are all like values and and ethics that I learned from the bands that I had loved growing up. And that is like a hundred percent the way that I want people to perceive on death. You know, I don't want people to mm. look at us as a band and be like, oh, like those guys are unapproachable. Like you. Uh, like if you see yeah. undeath at a show, like they're all going to be standing with their arms crossed behind the merch table, just like staring at you. Like I want people to to listen to undeath and know that, or like listen to like one of these interviews and like know that they can go to a show and just like have a fucking beer with us and hang out. And like there's going to be yeah, no pretension, yeah. there's going to be no ego. Like we're just we're just there as fans of music who kind of got lucky with this band. <laughs> yeah. And then in terms of kind of like as I said, like you have got a bit more sort of like attention and notoriety now, but like for you, like being in the band, was there like a specific moment or like event or anything like that, that you can remember, like that you kind of, your, your mentality switched of like, Oh, like people were paying attention to us. Like people actually like care that what this band yeah, is doing. Yeah, totally. I mean, the first time ever, honestly, was when we played in Toronto. And that was like our third or fourth show. 
uh and we mm. had because we didn't really play a lot around the first demo coming out and then we put out sentient autolysis or it was like right before we put out sentient autolysis we went and played in toronto or maybe it was right after i might be getting my timelines screwed up here but it was a very early show for the band we went and played in toronto we played with a the grime eximus i think it's the name of the band they're like just a really sick canadian kind of like mm. a death grind band um and we just opened that show and we got an offer to come play we went up and there were like 20 or 30 kids at that show who were just like there to see us and because we had these demos out that had gotten a little bit of buzz online and like a couple people were talking about them on twitter or whatever um and that was crazy to me because i never had 20 simultaneous people interested in a band of mine before like that, that was that was crazy <laughs> yeah. i remember i was standing by the merch table and Stu came up to me and he was like yeah i drove like three and a half hours to see you guys and we had oh shit like five songs out maybe at that point and i was like that was just yeah yeah i couldn't fucking believe that so that was like the first real instance or inkling that i got that maybe this band was something but it didn't really get like didn't really get yeah. serious until after we put out lesions because i remember i like i had expectations for the record like i wanted it to i wanted like our friends to like it i wanted the people who liked our demos to like it but i, I wasn't really like mm. that preoccupied with how other people might perceive it i didn't really think it was going to be a thing but then yeah you know we put out that record and i feel like it was like every week after we put that thing out it was just like the hype was just like building and building and building like i remember even like the day we announced it and put pre-orders up, like we sold like 150 copies, like before the record was even announced because it was just like people mm. got band camp notifications at midnight that like there was a new undeath release up and like, like Steve from cross out, just emailed us and he was like, yeah, we're going to have to come up with some new vinyl variants for this thing, like fast because it's selling way faster than any of us anticipated. And I, and I was That's like, oh, shit, like, this is actually, like, a big deal. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it was yeah. Nuts. And then, you know, like, we were getting, uh, like, Anthony Fantano, like, from the Needle Drop, gave it, like, an eight or something, like, and that was huge for us. Um, Pitchfork gave it, like, an 8.0. And, like, I think after that Pitchfork review went up, honestly, that's kind of when people really started paying attention to us. So it was when the, it was when the record came yeah. out that people were, that things got crazy, for sure. Mm. and because like as i mentioned like sort of musically obviously you've kind of gone for like let's say you've like really honed that structure of like verse chorus verse but like there are kind of like certain elements of, of the undeath sound that are kind of harping back to a very sort of like traditional like meat and potatoes like mm. death metal sound but like and i don't mean that to sound like critical because i think like that sound has kind of almost come full circle, like because you've got bands like yourselves, bands like Frozen Soul, that are like really kind of like honing that. I call it like chainsaw death metal sound that like Bolt Thrower like really like yeah. amplified. So I don't know, like, are you, is do you think there's a reason why like there is this like I guess kind of like wave of newer bands that are kind of like. Th throwing back to the old school death metal because i think there was a period in time with death metal where it was just like we're just going to be as extreme as we physically can and as you say it was a bit kind of like riff salad whereas like now it seems to be bands are kind of like paying homage to like what came before 
So I don't know. Have you kind of seen that up as yeah, a pattern definitely. within yeah. the scene? I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that the the law of the land, so to speak, in death metal for so long was just like, let's play at 280 BPM the entire song. Sorry, I'm burping up stale coffee right now. Uh, you know, like <laughs> let's play lightning fast the entire time. Let's uh, let's have every riff be completely fucking incomprehensible, and let's uh, just get on stage and be as like brutal and technical as fast as possible like that was that was how you made death metal for like 20 years and now i think Mm. we're i think what's happening if you ask me is that a lot of people like myself who came up not just on metal but on like punk and hardcore and more like uh immediate stuff like that are starting their own death metal bands and i think with Mm. people who you know were raised on hardcore there's kind of like this there's this desire that you can't shake where you want the songs to have like that groove and that bounce to them and you want them to have that that approachability yeah and uh you know when you transfer that method of making hardcore and punk songs into making death metal the end result is pretty naturally going to be songs that you know are more approachable are more like verse chorus oriented aren't like just lightning fast the entire time and like trying to dazzle you with their technical wizardry it's going to be like kind of paring things down a little bit so i think what what's happening right now is just a lot of people with a very similar upbringing and a very similar mindset when it comes to making music all kind of starting death metal bands at the same time Mm. and just i'd be remiss if i didn't bring it up but obviously like there was the the comments made from um your man from Cannibal Corpse about like this quote unquote yeah. new generation. And obviously like you were one of the people that was like, nah, this is fucking ridiculous. But because obviously like you've also kind of previously stated and you've even mentioned it in this, this chat now that like obviously Cannibal Corpse were a band that kind of did influence you and have influenced you. So I don't know, like I, I'm kind of just curious to see where you kind of lay with them mm. as a band still. And like, cause I, I'm, I'm remember doing my research for this like reading a very early interview with you that said like they'd be like god tier tour yeah. opportunity so would you still take well, that opportunity or are you kind of well like here's the, the cannibal corpse? uh my <laughs> wheelhouse when it comes to cannibal corpse is the corpse grinder era cannibal corpse so like right and okay. that's not to take anything away from the barnes records like i love bleeding i love two of the mutilated like those are some of my favorite albums period point blank but like the cannibal corpse that i love and the cannibal corpse that like you know was so influential to me growing up was the stuff that was written and recorded when barnes had been out of the band for years so like Mm. beyond that as well like uh, i was never laboring under any delusions that chris barnes was ever gonna like my band (laughs) like like, for better or for worse the dude is just a born hater like he's just he's always been a curmudgeon and like i think if he had come out and been like oh yeah like i'm really stoked about all these new death metal bands like on death is amazing i would have been like what the fuck like who is this (laughs) i would have been kind of like sketched out like you're not really chris barnes so so i mean yeah in that sense it's like it is what it is bro like he's he's entitled to have whatever opinions he wants to have like i think he's wrong like obviously i'm i'm personally biased but uh yeah i would still 1000 billion percent tour with cannibal corpse in a heartbeat because chris barnes hasn't been in the band for like 20 plus years at this point yeah fair um 
And then if we kind of move on to like where we are now, as we say, we're like two move, uh, roughly two weeks removed from like when um, it rises from the grave will be released mm-hmm. in its entirety. Um, and obviously, like because of the period we're we're in, obviously, I know we're kind of now kind of out of a pandemic, but in terms of you guys kind of like getting that record together and things like that. Did you kind of face challenges because of the pandemic or did you have a lot of it kind of like already in the bag ready to go and you were just kind of waiting for the right time? Um, you, you know, it's like we were aware, obviously, what, of what was going on and like it, it impacted us in small ways. But it, like in terms of like the writing and the recording of the record, like the ball had already been rolling and like we were already so in motion when it came to like getting everything ready that nothing really changed for us that much. Like. You know, we released Legions mm. right in the middle of like kind of the first wave. Like it was when everything it was when everything was still yeah. locked down. It was when like, you know, people were still kind of uncertain about how serious everything was going to get. So I feel like we were already like used to it at that point. And then by the time mm. Legions was out, we already had mo- not most of, but a sizable chunk of uh, our new record written. So we were just like putting our heads down and just continuing to move what, no matter what. Um and honestly, like the only really, the only thing about like COVID and the pandemic that was noticeable when we were recording the record was just the fact that we had to wear masks in the studio. Uh, and then like mm. beyond, and we all had to get COVID tests. Like we had to test negative before we got there because we were staying there. But, um, but it was like right, beyond okay. that, it was kind of easy to forget like what was going on because we were just it was business as usual for us. Like we were just tracking a record and then, but we're, but this time we're wearing masks. <laughs> yeah. And cause obviously like this time around, like there's obviously been a slight sort of change in, yeah. the, in the lineup as well. So I don't know, did that kind of like bring like a reinvigorated, not that you needed it, but like, did it bring like a newer energy to it or did it, did the new guys just kind of fit in uh, quite seamlessly? Both. I mean, yeah, they, Tommy and Jared like Tommy's our bass player and Jared is our uh, other guitar player like they were they really like kind of slotted into the band very seamlessly like they kind of picked up on everything really fast like we we were lucky because we got both of them into the band like right around the same time so we got we got Tommy and Jared Mm -hmm. both up here and practicing with us like probably within a couple weeks of each other so it was it was very easy to get them both caught up to speed and we were lucky enough to be able to do it simultaneously um as far as like an energy like yeah it definitely brought a a great new energy because we had like more people to bounce ideas off of and i think kyle specifically Mm. really appreciated that i'm sure because up until this point like he's written everything like everything and uh yeah tommy and jared are both like great players who have their own like perspectives and uh and toolbox of ideas that they come to practice with so it was just, I think, probably a welcome relief for him specifically to be able to get opinions from other musicians because until then it was like, mm. you know, I was talking to Matt, who's a musician, but Matt's a drummer, so he doesn't really get like the the, the riff aspect of it. And <laughs> yeah. then he's talking to me and he's like, hey, like, what do you think about this riff? And all I have to say is like, yeah, that's sick. Like, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to have any <laughs> constructive criticism, but somebody like Jared or Tommy can be like, oh, what if you like did this here? And, uh like I think he loved yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, and obviously, like we mentioned earlier, obviously you've kind of done now like the the single rollout and things like that. And again, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the video for 
uh, Necrobionics because I think it's an absolute piece of genius. So, like, how did that kind it was of very last come minute, up? I'll tell you that uh, we we had like grander aspirations for what we wanted it to be. <laughs> like, we uh, we we initially wanted to do like a fully animated video, and we wanted this it to be the super elaborate thing where it was going to be like I don't know, like uh, zombies getting outfitted with machine guns and shit like that, and then it kind of just became apparent. Yeah. Uh, pretty early on in like the rollout process that we just weren't going to have time to get it done in time um so then we pivoted and we were like uh uh well what should we do next and then i i, th- I forget who it was it was like either kyle or tommy i think it was kyle it was like what if we just set the song to a montage of doom clips like because because he's like that's what i fucking do all day like i sit in front of my computer and play video games like i just play doom all day like why don't we just do a video that celebrates like that aspect of the band the fact that we're all just like gamers and we're uh just like indoor degenerates and uh after that it was just like it it seems so obvious like why hadn't we thought of this before and it it took like no time at all to get together i mean literally like (laughs) kyle and and me and uh tommy and i think grotto our merch guy like all just got in doom one day doom 2 just played a couple rounds of deathmatch and then we sent the footage over to eric easterday who directed the rest of our videos for this album we just had him compile the footage and the rest is history that's amazing that's so good um and also just in terms of kind of like you you mentioned earlier there's that kind of like the the sort of nervousness of like the record coming out and the kind of giving it to the world sort of aspect of it but is there kind of have you kind of got sort of an, an idea in your head of like what you want people to take away from this yeah, record? i just want people to to view it the same way that i view it you know i want people to to listen to it and know that it's like the next logical evolution for for undeath because i because i think it is i think that it's like this record is taking everything that i think was best about lesions and just making it even better i think that like mm. we weren't trying to repeat ourselves in this album and we were just trying to do everything that we had been doing but just intensifying it even more and when people hear this album i want them to come away with that same experience like i want them to listen to it and know that like this is like the best undeath record that there has been to date and like and, and i want people to yeah. hear it and be excited about like what we're gonna do what we're gonna do next because i feel like we have a now i feel like we've honed in on our sound more than ever before and i just think like whatever we do next is going to be like even crazier Hmm. and well that's leads me on nicely to what my next question is and i know the new record isn't even out yet but like have you got what are the the next sort of phase plans for undeath because i know obviously you've got tours planned for for the future but is there are you already kind of rolling out new music have you got plans to come over this side of, of the Atlantic like what's ne- yeah so what's I mean next like immediately like we're just trying to tour as much as possible because I think in a sense we kind of need to make up for lost time because we didn't really we didn't really get to tour yeah. behind lesions that much and uh now we've got like, this new record coming out so I think like the immediate game plan is just to get out on the road as frequently as we can like we've got this dying fetus tour coming up it's going to take us everywhere uh, or at least it's you know it's going to take us across the country um, we're already like booking stuff for later in the year like we're gonna be very busy on this side of the world this year for sure um 
I think maybe like early next year, we might be trying to come over and do some UK European stuff. Uh, we're like beginning to kind of formulate those plans at the moment. So that's beginning to look pretty promising. Um, so yeah, like it's mm. just touring, 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 touring is, is the name of the game right now. But yeah, I mean, we're still working on stuff. Like we, we have tons of risks and ideas in the chamber for whatever LP3 ends up being like, I know we kind of want yeah. this one to be a little bit more of like a collaborative process in terms of writing. Like I, I don't want it to just be, well, I think Kyle doesn't want it to just be like Kyle writing a hundred percent of <laughs> yeah. everything again. I think he's just going to get like fucking burned out if he has to do that every year. So uh, like, yeah, I, think it's yeah. gonna be, I mean, Tommy's got some dope songs in mind that he's shown us. Like Jared's got some fucking crazy riffs that he's shown us. Like, and, and Kyle, obviously like he always does. He has this like arsenal of riffs at all times. So, I think, yeah, we're just going to probably, once we get back from this fetus tour, we're just going to start compiling some ideas in between tours and, and seeing where that takes us. And hopefully maybe springtime 2023, we'll get back in the studio and record another album. Awesome. Um, Alex, I've taken up way too much of your time, but before I do let you go, how I like to round these off is to ask my guests um, what their favorite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So what's your favorite Undeath song that you'd like to play live uh, and why? It's Legions for sure. Um, why? It's just yeah. a fucking fun song to play. It's it's like, it's got a great energy to it. <laughs> like the, the vocal patterns are really entertaining for me personally to do. And, and I feel like that's the song that the crowd responds to the best every time. Yeah. And I know because obviously this could change because you're going to be having newer material. But is there any songs off the new record that you you hope are gonna like yeah pop definitely off uh there's a couple i mean we have the song human chandelier that in in like the verses and the choruses it's doing something that i feel like on death hasn't really done before like i feel like it's just it's very ominous and like creepy in a way that we haven't really approached before but then it ends with this like insane fucking like slam part almost and uh it's just like the heaviest <laughs> yeah. part of the whole record in my opinion and like i'm really excited to see how people respond to that one Perfect. Brilliant. Alex, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate thank you. it. Um I've been lucky enough to I've been lucky enough to hear the record and it is fucking phenomenal. So when it comes out, people go check it out. And yeah, hopefully we see you over here okay, yeah, at some bro. point thank next year. All right, take no easy. worries. Take care. So there we have it, folks. Again, a huge thank you to Alexander for taking the time to have a little chat with me. As mentioned, Undestiny Record comes out this Friday, so make sure you go listen to it on whatever streaming platform you listen to your music on, or go out and buy the physical copy. Buy a physical copy, because having physical records is fucking incredible. Um, just a little bit of admin. I'm actually going... I'm fucking going to Europe for the first time in two and a half years. Uh, I'm going on holiday. I'm going to Hamburg with my best friend and a couple of other friends. Um, so there'll be no, no episode next week. And then I'm going to be driving People Slicer on the two dates they're doing with End. So fucking stoked to be seeing End uh, on the first weekend of May. And then the weekend after that, I'm going to be in Paris for a fucking rad youth crew all day so I'm going to Europe again. Oh, Europe, I've missed you so. Um, so yeah, episodes might be a bit sporadic for a little while because I don't know when I'm going to get a chance to record them slash edit them. But 
thank you as always for bearing with me and my weird hectic schedule at the moment but i've gone completely off tangent tangentially if you want to keep up to date with what undeath are doing is what i should have be saying you can do so by following all their various social media platforms which will be linked in the description of this episode this is where i should have done all the admin bit but yeah thank you again for supporting this podcast as much as everyone has as i said it's been incredible to get to 220 episodes let's keep that ball rolling let's keep getting awesome guests thank you everyone who's been listening whether as i said whether it's the first time you've listened to the justin insight podcast or the 220th time it's been an absolute joy thank you for stopping by and i will see you soon (laughs) 